right, well, we are halfway into our series on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, so far we've covered a few different topics about Jesus and his ministry. In chapter one, uh, you probably noticed that I was going very fast, and that was actually on purpose to show the pace of Jesus's ministry. The man cannot be stopped. If you look throughout the Gospel of Mark, every story is transitioned with this word immediately or straight away. He did blank, right? He, he can't be stopped. He's relentless in his mission and his purpose. Two weeks uh, the, in the second sermon, we talked about Jesus's authority. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is divine authority. This is not what mere humans can do. And then last week we talked about his teaching. Jesus's teaching is admittedly very complex. It's often very controversial, but it is compelling. There's always uh, good news even when Jesus has something difficult to say. Today we're, we're going to focus on the power of Jesus, and many of you have heard this story before. We're going to reflect on what this miracle demonstrates to us, but I, I want to address a common conclusion and state this from the front that people normally draw or commonly draw from this passage, and it's this conclusion. God will calm every storm in your life. We don't necessarily say this conclusion out loud, but often we draw this conclusion from this story, and the logic goes something like this. Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago were caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. They wake Jesus up, and Jesus calms the storm. Therefore, if storms are metaphors for the difficulties we face in life, and if we ask Jesus to calm the storm in our lives, he will do it. Therefore, words on the screen behind me, God will calm every storm in your life if you ask. Now, if that is true, that would require a great deal of power. And I believe as a Christian that God has that kind of power. But my question for us is, based on what we actually read in this passage, does Jesus make that promise? If we were even to zoom out and not stick solely to this chapter in Mark, if we looked at the rest of the Bible, does God anywhere in Scripture make a promise like that. Now, we didn't read all the way from the beginning of Mark chapter 4, but it's important to know the context before we get into the verses. We're, we know that Jesus is teaching by the sea. We know that he sometimes did this whenever a crowd would press in. He would step into a boat and kind of push off from the shore, and then with distance from the crowds who were listening to him, he would use the water as a kind of natural amplifier for his voice, okay? Now, in this story, in Mark chapter 4, he sits down like every good rabbi would, and he teaches throughout the day, but what we find out is that once the day is coming to a close, once evening is, has come, Jesus decides, I'm done teaching, and uh, we need to go to the other side of the lake, okay? So what you need to know, just for the sake of this story, is that Jesus is teaching to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, and he seems to imply we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee uh, to the Gentiles, okay? Now, his Jewish apostles might have raised an eyebrow to that. They might have wondered why in their hearts, but we know that they obeyed him. They immediately, just as Jesus was, without making any other preparations, they cast off 
and they leave the crowd behind, okay? So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to, to Mark chapter 4. We're going to study this passage verse by verse. It's not very many. We'll have time to break down the story, okay? And we're going to see what does God actually promise about the storms in our lives, okay? We're going to start in verse 34, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We have the verses on the screen. Okay, we read, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. I'm done teaching parables. It's time to move. And without asking any questions, without any doubt in their heart, they leave the crowd behind and they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, what's c- what, came, what comes next probably came as a surprise to them too. A furious squall came up the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I think some of maybe our experiences in life may uh, deter us from actually understanding the stakes involved here. When they go out onto the Sea of Galilee, they know, at least the fishermen in the boat should know, that this sea is infamous for this kind of storm, okay, that comes without warning, okay? Wind gets kind of funneled through the steep valleys among the hills around the lake, and it was just a recipe for these sudden attacks of wind and rain. And this time, this is what they could not have predicted, it gets so bad that experienced fishermen can do nothing in the face of it. And, you know, There's no Coast Guard ready to come if they call. If they sink, if the water fills up the boat, they are dead men. The stakes are high. And if there's no boat to help, if they don't receive help from the the other side, from, from anybody else, they are going to die. Now, I love putting these two verses back to back on the same screen. A furious squall came up, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. This might be the first miracle of this story, right? Jesus is taking a nap in the eye of a hurricane. I mean, what man, what woman, what any mortal human being could have this ability, his life, is at stake, just like the rest of the men in the boat, and he is snoozing under these conditions, okay? Now, I would conclude if someone has that ability, they are special, they're not like me, I'm terrified, and this person seems to be relaxed, but that's not what his apostles conclude. They wake him up, and they say to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? The fact that Jesus is asleep means to them that he is apathetic. Because, and this is their fear talking in their head, if Jesus really cared, he would be awake and he would be helping us. Remember, Jesus, this was your idea. You told us to cast off and go to the other side of the lake. We obeyed you. We did what you told us to do, and now we're out here, and we're going to die if you don't do something. And worst of all, you're not just not doing something, you're sleeping. It's almost insulting. You must not love us after all. Now, what do they call him? They call him teacher. And they call him that because he's been teaching parables all day, but he's about to teach them using a very different kind of lesson. He gets up. And he rebukes the wind. 
and says to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. Does Jesus pray to his heavenly Father to stop the storm? No. He himself rebukes the wind. Y'all, rebuke is the same word that is used when Jesus exercises a demon. You can picture him wagging his finger at the wind and the waves. I mean, he seems like a crazy person. He is talking to water, and he says, be quiet, be still. And without any delay, everything ceases. The sea is completely calm. Sometimes in these stories, if you've read them before, you've just got to picture it from the perspective of the people there. Imagine being James and John, right? You've been fishermen your entire life. You've probably been in some storms yourself that might have been pretty close calls, but you've survived them. And imagine being the two of them here, right? They have probably been at the boat working hard. Their, their arms are exhausted. They are totally out of energy. They're soaked from head to toe. Their feet are in inches of water in the boat, and the storm is, is so loud. The thunder is crashing around them, and then this tossing sea with waves that are crashing over your ship, it just all becomes completely tame, and the air is still, and the rain is gone. I mean, just think about that. It's like Jesus has a remote for the earth, and he just mutes it. He just stops it with his words. And I think the only way that we can really get a grasp of this is think about how little control any of us in this room have over nature, right? It's amazing that mankind has, you know, built great civilizations and skyscrapers, and we have done amazing things as human beings. But when this earth has any kind of disaster, it shows us how puny we are by comparison, right? Whole cities have been turned to ash by volcanic eruptions. Cities are destroyed by hurricanes, tsunamis, wreak devastation that our minds cannot comprehend, even when we band together. And we try to create defenses against these natural disasters. We're just hoping to limit their damage, not even close to stopping them in the middle of the event. And Jesus, on the other hand, he speaks a few words. Your translation might say, peace, be still. And it all stops on a dime. Y'all, if there's one story that I would pick to show the omnipotence of Jesus, the fact that he is all-powerful, this story is it. He speaks, and nature itself heeds his call. And then Jesus turns to his apostles. After telling the earth what to do, he speaks words to them. And he says this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? When I read those questions this week, to be honest with you, I thought they were pretty harsh. I mean, Jesus, they're afraid because they don't want to drown. They don't want to die. It's natural to be afraid. Are they really to blame? But think about what they actually say to Jesus. In their fear, they say, teacher, don't you what? Care. Don't you care if we drown? I think, this is my opinion, I think the biggest problem here lies in that accusation. They conclude, Christ, you must not really mind if we die. 
Their fear is talking, and they've been convinced Jesus really isn't concerned about us after all. And that conclusion, that their words betray, demonstrate their lack of faith and trust in him. And it's why, it's why he asks these really tough questions. They're so afraid of the storm, they lose trust in their Savior's love. Let me say this one more time. The disciples are so afraid of the storm that they lose trust in their Savior's love. Now, it's always important to ask when a miracle happens, what change occurs, okay? And the story does not say they were afraid, and then Jesus calmed the storm, and then they were not afraid of anything anymore. That's not what the story actually says. In fact, the change that happens is their fear shifts from the storm to Jesus, right? They were terrified and asked each other, who's this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their terror of nature has been replaced by a fear and awe and amazement of Jesus. Because what I think what was happening is they're looking at the storm and they're thinking that is the most powerful factor at play here. When in reality there's a person in their boat who is more powerful than the storm. So their fear, once Jesus demonstrates that he's more powerful, their fear redirects to him. And as we know from the book of Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? This is the smart thing to do. It's smart, it's wise to revere that which is most powerful. The problem is they think the storm is more powerful than them or Jesus. It's why they say this. They're shocked, they're surprised. Oh my goodness, Jesus is stronger than the storm. Okay. We've looked at the verses, we've gone verse by verse, and let's ask, let's go back to the original question. Does this passage teach in any way, shape, or form that Jesus will calm every storm in our lives? I will be frank with you. I do not even see a hint that Jesus promises to calm the storms in our life. In fact, the only words we have from him are, why are you so afraid and why don't you trust me? If anything, the indictment is, a, is of us as his disciples that we get so caught up in fear of the storms in our lives that we believe God doesn't love us. In fact, it teaches us when you are in the middle of a storm, you're most liable to lose your faith. That is when your faith is going to be tested. And if we zoom out and look beyond the gospel of Mark, what I see is overwhelming evidence that God does not calm many storms in the Bible. I just want to give you three examples. I'm going to do all of them quickly that shows you the full range of what God can do in a storm, okay? We're going to do Peter, Paul, and Jonah, okay? This is not a band. These are three characters from Scripture, two in the New Testament and one in the Old. Now, some of you know from Matthew chapter 14, the famous story about Peter, okay? He sees Jesus walking on water, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus does so. Peter steps out of the boat and walks on water as if it is solid ground, okay? This is beyond human comprehension, but by faith, Peter treads on water. He walks on the waves, 
Now, we know that God can give this ability. And I wish that God would always give me that ability in the storms of my life. But we know from the stories of Paul that that's not always what happens. Some of you know at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in custody. And he is sent to the city of Rome for trial. And he's sailing on a ship. And guess what happens? A storm comes and God does not calm the storm. In fact, the ship that Paul is in accidentally strikes a sandbar and the stern of the ship is broken to pieces by the pounding of the waves that God does not calm. Now the soldiers on the boat, they want to kill all of the prisoners and escape themselves, but all we read is the centurion on the ship wishes to save Paul, so he stops them. Now, things get so scary on the boat, and it's so, uh, uh, the, la- the integrity of the ship is so broken that everyone who's on the boat has to jump overboard and swim to the best of their ability to an island nearby. Everybody who can't swim has to jump out, grab a plank, and use that as a little floaty to get to the nearest land. Okay, I don't know if you've ever pictured this before, but there is a good chance the Apostle Paul 2000 years ago was hanging onto a plank for his life in the Mediterranean Sea. Did God calm the storm in his life? No, not at all. Jonah is probably the hardest one. He runs from God. He gets on a boat in the Mediterranean Sea. A storm comes again. God not only does not calm that storm, he is the cause of the storm. Jonah is thrown overboard by the sailors who know he is to blame, and Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. We've got three stories up on the screen about some kind of storm and God not calming it. I myself would go with Paul way before Jonah, but... These are, the, these are the facts. This is what God can do in the midst of a storm. And the point is simple. He does not always calm the storms in our life, even when people have great faith, like Paul. Now, I don't want to only focus on what God does not do. I want to talk about what God reveals matters most in the middle of a storm. And the first is this. During a storm in your life, the Lord is in control. I think Jesus' frustration with the apostles is about their fear. And it's natural to be afraid of things that are more powerful than we are. But Jesus is the most powerful one in the situation, right? The guy in the boat with them is stronger than the waves outside of them. He created the heavens and the earth. He can tell it what to do or not to do. He is in control. The second thing that matters most during a storm is this. We don't want fear of the storm to convince us the Lord doesn't care about us. Right? They say, teacher, don't you care? And I think what's so frustrating about that, probably from Jesus' perspective, is I'm in the boat with you. (laughs) I came from heaven to earth, and I'm here in the boat with you. Of course I care. Just because I'm not afraid doesn't mean I've abandoned you. Just because I'm asleep 
and I am so secure doesn't mean I don't love you. Fear lies to us all the time, and it tells us if God isn't helping right now in the way that you want him to, he doesn't love you after all. The third thing that matters most during a storm is to ask for help, and God will decide how to help you. The difficult news about this last item on the screen is that we don't get to decide how God will answer our request. Sometimes God lets us walk on the waves like Peter. Sometimes he calls the storm, but sometimes he lets us hold onto a plank for our dear lives. He even can let us sink like Jonah. We ask, and he decides how to help. This is what matters most during a storm. He does not calm every storm in our life, but he is in control during every storm. And we've got to trust that he is in control. We've got to know that he cares about what happens to us. And we can ask him for help, and he'll decide how. The grand promise that God will calm every storm in our life may sound good, but it is not true. It's not what scripture teaches, and we need to live according to the truth. He's in control. He cares. He's listening to us, and he will decide how to help. Now, I know I'm going to go off script. I know that some of us may feel like Jonah right now. We're feels like we're sinking and we're wondering, couldn't God have chosen a better way to save me other than the, this fish? <laughs> I can think of better ways. Some of us may feel jealous of the people that we know in our lives who seem like Peter, right? They conquer every storm that comes to their life. But I think one thing that we can rest secure in is that the Lord will help he always does, but he is wise enough to know how. That's not easy news to swallow, but it's the truth. And I think if we try to live according to that lie that God will calm every storm in our life, we will be disappointed. And as a, as a pastor, as someone who cares about this church a great deal, I pray and ask for God to help us. And he will decide how. That's what I trust, and that's what I hope all of us trust. Let's pray. God, we are amazed by the power of Jesus. He can calm any storm. You can empower mere mortals to walk on waves. And yet that is not a promise you make. Even your son at the end of his life was not spared a great storm. He was not exempt from pain and suffering and death. God, we pray for faith. Just as Ronnie mentioned, there's such a fine line between 
fearing the storm and then shifting our attention to Christ, who is trustworthy and in control. God, we pray for that faith. We pray that even in the midst of the storm, we would trust that you are sovereign, you are listening, you will decide how to help us, and you know what's best. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.